Father, we thank you for your presence here with us uh, this morning. Lord, we want to acknowledge, Lord, we need you. Lord, we acknowledge that in ourselves we're weak. In ourselves we are so limited as to what we can do. We want to do so much for you. And yet when we try in our own efforts and our own understanding, we just make such a mess of it. All our motives are wrong, our ideas are wrong. But Lord, when you fill us with your spirit and with your love, everything changes. And Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that we are people who can trust you and rely on you, who can find our strength in you. Lord, who can live lives that are worthy of you only because that you're able to help us and strengthen us and equip us for this life. And so, Father, we just commit ourselves to you again. As we have heard already, Lord, we want to be those who really have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying and to be open to what you're saying to us. But, Lord, not to be those who hear and then just walk away and carry on as we were, but for something significant to shift in us this morning, something very significant to change, so that somehow we are set on your purpose and on your plans and your ways rather than our own. So we just give ourselves to you, settle our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, we ask you, invite you to speak to our hearts, to change us and transform us into your image. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll read uh, some verses of scripture to you first uh, from Ephesians 3, which will finish this section of teaching. We will eventually move on to do another series of teaching, which is called Transformed Living, which starts to apply more of what we've heard in terms of a transformed life into the practice of living it all out. It's no good just having a transformed life and not living this life for Christ, is it? But it starts by being transformed. It starts by something happening, significant in us, that changes everything. And Ephesians 3, starting at verse 14, it says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When we started these, this series, I said that we're going to take a, a, a journey together, focusing on uh, some three critical questions that uh, we ask. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what am I living for? And these questions address our identity, our belonging, and our purpose. And I'm sure you agree that these are vital questions that we need to answer. And in our first teaching, we mentioned that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God's poem, God's masterpiece, the very pinnacle of his creation made in his image. However, we're fatally flawed as well. 
People today struggle with a crisis of identity and dysfunctional family life and fears and anxieties. And because of sin, people are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us. And all of us live well below the life that God intended for every one of us. I think we can all relate to that, can't we? That God has intentions and plans for all of our lives, but we just seem to live well, well below God's best for us. But praise God, he's doing a work in us. And he's changing us, he's transforming us, so that he does raise us. It says, doesn't it, that uh, when we go lower, then he takes us higher. (laughs) If we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, he will raise you up. I think this is a a wonderful principle of of the scriptures, is that often we hear people say, we've got to go higher, we've got to go higher. God's saying, no, 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 you've got to go lower, you've got to go lower, because I'll raise you up. I'll be the one that lifts you up if you just go and humble yourself before me and recognize your weakness, my weakness, without him. Then we can start walking the highway. It's a highway that he's called every one of us to, but it is in humility and with brokenness. And as we walk this this walk, we're not lording it over anybody. We're just recognizing our own need of God, desperate need of him to, to walk in a way that pleases him. You might be struggling with um, your identity. Feel shame for the things that you've done. (coughs) You might be beset by doubts and fears and concerned about what others think of you. Unhappy about the way you look. Maybe you're overly driven to prove yourself. Maybe you've felt like a misfit, never quite knowing your place. And constantly trying to fit in with the crowd. And maybe that's led you to doing things that you would have never done otherwise. Perhaps you've been successful, but still you don't really feel a sense of who you really are, and you still feel that you're of little significance in this life. The Word of God tells me that, and I know it from experience, that we are totally transformed with the new birth. When we're born of the Spirit, something changes in me we're transformed and the power of the holy spirit is at work in us to regenerate us and to change us and if you've had that rebirth experience as i think most people if not all here today have then you know what i'm talking about things are different from the way they used to be i remember one of the first signs that i truly made a commitment to god in my life was just suddenly i caught myself not swearing I just knew I hadn't sworn for a long time. Something in me changed like that immediately. It was a transformation. No longer was this spirit in me that wanted to do the wrong things, but something in me changed immediately. And I'm sure all of us have experienced things that just changed like that the moment that we came to Christ. But then there's this ongoing work. There's things that kind of stick and things that are difficult in life. And God is working in us to change us and to form us and to make us more like him. And the devil will come along and say, oh, you're not good enough. And No, I'm not. <laughs> Definitely not. But in Christ I am. But something has changed and something has changed significantly in my life. And I know many uh, here uh, experienced exactly the same thing. Titus 3 verse 5 said, he saved us 
not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Just let me highlight just three words. He saved us. Sozo, the word to be healed, delivered, made whole. It's not a patch up of the old self. It's to be made whole and to become a new creation. You know, when you were baptised, if you've been baptised yet, you know, we went through a watery grave. And that symbolised, didn't it, the leaving behind of the old man, of the old self, and being raised up to glory, to live a new life. And I think one of the problems today is that people are raised up out of the grave of baptism and don't continue to live this new life. Carry on in sin, say, oh, well, we're covered by grace. His love is enough and so on. But no, if we're truly born of God, something in us shifts and changes so that we can't live the way we used to. It's a new life, a new beginning. And we need to continue to walk in this, uh, in this, re- this new birth, to be regenerated, born again. I'm the same person in many ways, but I'm a different person in, in other ways. Created to be who God, uh, made to be who God created me to be. You know, we, God made you, and you know that you have an individual personality, individual sense of humor, gifts and talents and so on, all of these things. And you could have used them just for the world, entirely for yourself and your own benefit. But God has said, no, I've made you new. I've made you for me and for my purpose and plan for your life. Let's get on his purpose and not live just for ourselves. We were born and created for his plan. We've been renewed, renewal, it says, by the Holy Spirit. A process of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit who transforms us inwardly so that the sinful nature can be done away with and we can be clothed with a new nature. This inner renewal or transformation. It, it takes the resurrection power of God to change us. Do you know that? It, it takes a, a, the miracle, powerful work of God to turn a heart. To change me from within. These things that I love in life that are wrong in my life. It takes a powerful work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction and change in my heart. So that I I despise these things then. But there has to be something of God at work in me. And we need this, don't we? Have you experienced that yourself? I'm sure a lot of you nod. You've experienced this where there's something that you wanted and you desired. And you're hanging on to and (coughs) pleasures and desires. Whatever it might be. But God just does something in your heart. And we just get before God and say, Lord, thank you, but I need your power to change now. I need your ability because this is something I'm struggling with. But praise God that it is a miracle working power. It's the resurrection power of God that's working in us. We use words like awakening, being born again, transformed, new creation. Something's happened, has come alive in the heart of every believer that changes everything. We now have joy and hope and love and this sense of blessedness, of well-being in the storms around us, yet something is still and right inside of us, even though outside it can be chaos, because something very real has happened in our hearts and in our lives. When someone comes to Christ in this way and is born of God, our new nature starts to make an impact on the lives of others as well. Uh, some people might not like the change and be disturbed by the change. And others think, what on earth's happened here? <laughs> I want to know more. 
But you get these reactions, don't you? When you've, when you've something in you's changed, it, it causes a reaction around us. We, uh, we make an impact somehow in this world because something very real has happened in us. We become kind, we become compassionate and selfish, generous, more thoughtful and more caring. The lazy person becomes hard-working and diligent. You know, this is why I think Christians should be such a blessing in the workplace. Because we can be trusted by our bosses, not to cheat on our expenses, to, to go where we said we're going to go and to do what we said we're going to do and to be diligent in all that we do. We can be trusted because we're no longer the old person, but we're this new man in Christ. The addicted person can become clean. The foul-mouthed person can become pure of speech because our hearts are changed and the flow of God is a new living river of pure water that comes from as a changed heart. Idolatrous people become devoted to one, the one true God. The adulterer at heart and the fornicator become pure of heart. They turn from adulterous relationships and commit to, the one, to one person in marriage. The greedy person becomes generous. The proud person becomes humble. These are outward expressions of an inward reality that has taken place through rebirth. Our children don't inherit these qualities from, from Christian parents, as we know. There has to be a new birth for every generation, for every person. And this is one of the difficulties that we see in society today, is we need to see new birth in our, in our communities. We need to see our families transform. We need to see people changed and transformed and turning to Christ. We need to see this for our own children, our own families. A real change a real transformation, a rebirth. But it's a miracle of God. You know, as much as we want it, it has to be a cry from our heart. Lord, please, we want to see this revival. We want to see this awakening, this renewal in people's lives. It's a miracle, folks. There's nothing we can do in ourselves of this, but we can cry out to the living God to change our hearts and to change the hearts and lives of other people too. And Paul, he speaks about this uh, transformation um, when he lists the brokenness um, in, in people's lives in 1 Corinthians. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26, Ron. Hold on, let's have a look. Yes. <laughs> okay, thank you. Right, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, that, so that no one may boast before him. Because of him you are in Christ, who has become the wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's, that's right. Uh, there was another passage as well I wanted to turn to, which, which talks about who we were. He names the sinful behaviours and says that this is w what you were, but now you're washed, you're cleansed, and you're purified uh, by the blood of Christ. And there is a real transformation and a real change that takes place in us. He says, some were this, some of you were like this, but the Holy Spirit changes us so that we can look back and say, well, I was like this, 
but I'm no longer anymore. Something's happened in me. I'm not the same person now. I'm, as I said before, the same person, but different, totally transformed by, by grace of God. And, you know, this should uh, help us in our conversations with people. Sometimes we're afraid, aren't we, to, uh, to, to, to speak out for things that we know, uh, speak of the righteousness of God. We think, oh, how can I say this to somebody? Or how can I point out that if, if people remain in their sin and remain in these practices that, you know, they're, they're, they're going to suffer a destiny that is just horrendous. But how can I say it without feeling as if I'm condemning somebody? Because we can say things to people lovingly. We can say it because we're so filled with the love of God and acknowledgement that actually I've been changed so, so much. That I can say, well, I was just like you. <laughs> and I struggle similarly. But I just want you, each one of you, to have this gift that I have. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, and verse, verse 4, it speaks, about, um, it speaks about the love of God, doesn't it? Did you know that you can test yourself to see if you're in the faith? Uh, it, it says that um, you know, we can test and, and see whether we're truly in, uh, in the faith. And, uh, and I want us all to be able to say, yes, I know that I'm in the faith. Because we can see the evidence, the fruit of the life of God. You see, the change happens first on the inside, doesn't it? But it has to come out. It has to be evident somehow in the way that we act, as I was saying before. There's a change on the outside as well. It says, For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's uh, power. Likewise, we're weak in him, yet God's power will live with him to serve you. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. The evidences that are in our weakness and by God's power we can live to serve God each of us is uniquely made and designed uh, by God I mentioned, uh, I asked people last time jokingly just to feel the back of your neck didn't I and, uh, and you'll find a little label there <laughs> it's a designer label that's uh, you have been uniquely made uh, by God. And for good works that God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Also in this series, we checked out our uh, eternal, uh, our bank account, the eternal blessings that we have. You know, we can look at our own bank account and think, oh dear. But we have an eternal bank account too. And in Ephesians, it talks about these blessings that we have. that have been adopted into his family. We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this seal of adoption that he places on us, it was a legal seal that the, they would have understood in those times, that once that's sealed, you are sealed into the family of God, just as you're adopted into the, the Roman natural family. And it's interesting, and I've mentioned this in the past, that the rights of an adopted son or daughter, their rights were greater than the rights of a natural child. Sounds incredible, but that was the case. 
They were given greater rights. than They could never be disavowed from the family once they were adopted. A natural child, if they were disobedient to get out, but an adopted child, once they were adopted, that was it. And this is a, a wonderful truth for us, that you know that you have been adopted and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And uh, it excites me, this is our inheritance in Christ. We have an eternal, unimaginable inheritance with all the saints. And we've come to understand these things, not by human reason, but by revelation. That he's revealed himself to us. And Paul prayed this, he says, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know him better. And that we may also know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. We're made alive, empowered, not to live comfortable lives, free from the troubles of the world, pleasing ourselves and saying, God, you know, I'm going this way. Will you come along with me? It's going to be an exciting journey, God. <laughs> That's not the way it works, is it? God is calling you to his purposes and his plans. Say, come with me. This is the exciting life. This is the life that really is uh, going to be of, of wonderful worth. He's made us alive for his purpose, a life worth living. And we're not alone on the journey either. Uh, Christ will return for his bride, the church. Not a stone building, but transformed lives. And this may have been quoted in one of the other sessions, but it's a well-known leader said this about the church. He said, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is incredible. Its power, breathtaking. Its potential, unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arm to the forgotten, the downtrodden and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction, frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalised of the world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organisation on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. What a privilege to be part of the church, of the body of Christ here. To be joined together uh, in this body. And life really starts to make sense when we see the bigger picture of God's purpose throughout all time. He has a part for every one of us to play. And our efforts um, to maintain our own lives are, are not enough. He's got a higher calling. It's not just about self-maintenance. He's saying, look, <laughs> I want you to make a, an impact, a difference in this world. I think sometimes we're satisfied with just enough for me to, to make me, you know, okay, I'm all, I'm all right today. I'm getting through today. But God wants more. He wants us to be not just okay. He wants us to really see what we can do as we pour out our lives as well. And his love, his resources to others. His commission to make disciples to all nations requires the whole church to function as God intended it. As a body with each unique gift and talent. In weakness yet under the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. No one... Not one person here is insignificant to God. Not one person here is insignificant to this body. 
It says, uh, doesn't it, that every joint must supply. That means that, it tells me that if someone or some people in this body are not joined, then another part somehow loses out. We need each other. And the body functions powerfully and wonderful by the joints, not by body parts that are scattered all over the place. We need to be joined together in this way. We need to be plugged into God's purpose and functioning with God's power. And this is where I want to, that was, in, in a sense, just a bit of a, a, a recap of some of the themes or ideas that we've talked about over these last few weeks. And in this scripture that we, we read in Ephesians 3, Paul starts off by saying that he gets on his knees. And this is what I said just a, a bit earlier. He, he humbles himself and he gets on his knees and he prays. And all through this uh, s- series of, of, uh, of verses that we just read, he's continually praying and seeking God. And we need to humble ourselves before God. We need to, 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 uh, to truly bow our hearts before him. I've encouraged people in the past, if you're alone praying, to go and kneel before God. I think sometimes we get out of the habit of, of kneeling. Um, we might sit on a comfy chair or whatever, and there's nothing wrong with that, and we bow our heads and bow our hearts in that way. But there's something about getting to one side, alone with God, kneeling before him, and just bowing your heart before him. And it's that outward expression, I think, of getting on our knees that somehow expresses an inner reality that we're truly crying out to God. And so I encourage you, as I encourage myself, let's let's go deeper with God. Let's get real with God. Let's humble ourselves before him and cry out to him as we should. And then we start to see, in his due time, it says, he lifts you up. And I believe for every one of us, there needs to be this resurrection. <laughs> we need to, some, God needs to raise us up. God needs to, to, to bring to life things that are dead in our hearts and in our lives. But as we humble ourselves before him, there can be these, these times where God raises us up and changes us, opens our eyes to things. And we start to see and hear and flow in God once again as we should. He prays that we might be strengthened with power in the inner being. His power working in us to transform us. And and these are really pretty astonishing words that he speaks. Now Hollywood's idea of love has shaped society's idea of love I think, hasn't it? Making people think that uh, it's a feeling or merely a physical attraction. Love is, of course, these things, but it's a lot more than that. The English translation of the word love doesn't adequately describe uh, what the Bible teaches us about uh, love and the different Greek words that are used for love. And there's four Greek words that are commonly used for love. There's epithumia, which is a word that speaks of lusts and desires. And there's eros, the love of attraction, and philea, 
the love of affection and this sort of affection that can be between men and women and all of us. It's, it's an affection, a friendship that we can have with one another. But none of these words are used of God in the Bible. The word agape isn't a love that comes from feelings. It's a love that expresses good character, when, that decides to do the right thing. It's a love that takes action. The love of God, when he saw a need, he did something about it. In, in Romans 5.8, it says that God demonstrated his love to us that whilst we were still sinners. God demonstrated his love. He showed it he, to us. God demonstrates love. He, he does it. And Paul is, of course, referring to the agape love in this passage. And why would Paul pray that we grasp the love of Christ? His love is so vast, so uncommon, so magnificent, so utterly incomprehensible, that the only way to ever grasp this love is by revelation from the Holy Spirit. But did you know that we can impact a nation by confronting people with this testimony? Look what it says in John 13. Verse, uh, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. What an incredible testimony that is. All will know you are my disciples. Not that all will be converted, but all can be confronted with the reality of Jesus through the life of those of us who know him and serve him. The love of God um, isn't the gospel message that uh, the disciples preached that you, might think, uh, that you might think it is today. The love of God was spoken of primarily amongst believers and was evidence to believers and to unbelievers alike, alike of a transformed life. The gospel message, on the other hand, was a message of the grace of God shown to mankind through the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. It was a message of repentance, change of mind and change of direction. That word repentance is so often misunderstood, isn't it? We get a really good grasp of this word when we understand both the Greek and the Hebrew meaning of the word. The Greek meaning of the word, to change your mind. And the Hebrew meaning to turn around. <laughs> we need to do both. We need a change of mind. But we also need a change of direction as well, don't we? We need to realise our need of Christ, our need of God. We need a saviour. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now Jesus hasn't made things complicated for us, but simple and practical and down to earth. Corrie Ten Boom used an acronym, as you call it, KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. We, we need to keep things simple and not complicate things too much. And um, we have an obligation to confront the world with this love of God. It's not a choice that says, a new command I give you to love one another. 
with this unselfish love, this seeking the well-being of others before our own well-being. And, and this is something we have to learn as a church. How as a church can we love one another? How can we practically love one another more and demonstrate this love to, towards others as well? If uh, people were asked for an idea of, um, of the Christian faith these days, we might get an awful lot of, of answers. They may speak of it in terms um, of judgment or, uh, or feeling condemned, perhaps. But that's because they've not perhaps been confronted with the true love of God. And we need to confront people, show people what it means to love God. In 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, Dear friends, let's love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God, because God is love. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son to the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, Since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. The key here is love comes from God. It comes from God. And we need to receive the love of God. You see, God isn't saying you must go and love everybody else in our own strength, in our own ability. God asks us to do the impossible thing, to love other people as he loves. It's impossible for us to do that. I cannot do it and you cannot do that. So why does he command us to do it? Because he transforms us from the inside and he puts his love in us. He changes us so that we have the love of God towards other people. We need to have a a loving, passionate relationship with God. To be filled with his love. In Romans 5, 5 it says he pours his love into us by his spirit. We need this flow of God into our lives. So that this love of God can flow out from us into the lives of others. It's God's love in us. It's his ability and his power at work in us. To both will and do according to his uh, good purpose. In 1 Corinthians um, 13, a very well-known passage on, on love. And we know it well, don't, uh, don't we? Uh, that love, it says, is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I love this next little verse, love never fails. It never fails. You know... A lot of these things that are mentioned, they're character issues, aren't they? Uh, Patience, for example. Uh, God works patience in our lives, often through very difficult circumstances. God, in those situations, is 
is working in us his love. He is disciplining us. He's helping us to change and be transformed on the inside so that that transformation that's taken place in us is a natural uh, character that, that we express towards other people because we've become patient, because God has worked patience in us. He is working powerfully in us, both to will and to do, according to his good purpose. Are we willing to be open to the powerful work of God in our hearts? Are we willing to say, Lord, there are so many things out of place in my life, in my heart, and I need your power, I need your help. And that transformation that takes place in our hearts, in our lives, other people are going to experience because they'll see the love of God expressed through us too. I want that more for me. I, do, I, really do. I don't want to be someone who has to try harder and harder and harder. I want to be someone who's changed and transformed so there's a natural character and flow and life of Christ flowing through me. And I'm sure we, we'd all want that. He also gives us a revelation of the love he has for us. And we hear this, don't we, in, in the Gospels, how um, when people came to pray and, you know, they humbled themselves before God. I'm a sinner before God. And then the proud person says, look at me. There's the, um, the prostitute who washes the feet of Jesus and weeps. Uh, on his feet and dries his feet with her hair and he says well he who has been forgiven much loves much and every one of us he goes on to, to, to teach about how the debtor the one who had been forgiven little uh, then turns around uh, sorry he says that the person who had been given this, forgiven this massive debt of millions of pounds whatever it was in today's money and uh, he turns around and wouldn't forgive the person who owed him just a few, a few pounds, a small amount. And um, we have been, give, been forgiven the bigger debt. We can never forgive anybody more than we've been forgiven ourselves. People will hurt us, people will do things that we think are very difficult and are hard to cope with. Sometimes the most appalling things have happened. But I tell you, every one of us, we've been forgiven the greater debt. And when we have this revelation of the love of God and the debt that we've been forgiven, the price he paid, then we start to see, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I've been forgiven this, this great weight. There's always going to be difficulties and trials and disappointments in life. But knowing the goodness of God and the love of God and the faithfulness of God will help us to keep going. God will never let you down. He's a good God. He can't let you down. And it says that we can be rooted and established in this love. Rooted, think about this. If we're rooted in the love of God, what do roots do? They draw up the nutrition of the love of God. They draw up the goodness and the life and the, 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 the wellness, if you like, of all of God. We need to be rooted in him and in his love to draw up from him the very life of God. But we can also have a root of bitterness. And draw up from a well that is, is bitter and defiled as well. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. According to his power 
that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Is what this scripture finishes with. That he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. According to what his power at work within us. So what? So that there might be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. We say the Lord's Prayer, you know, to, to glorify God. You know, to, it says, doesn't it, to him be the glory. To him be the power, the glory and the honour. And, and I want him to gain all the glory. He has all the power. <laughs> and he can have all the glory in your life and in my life. If we let go, <laughs> put our roots down into God, humble ourselves and allow him to transform us into his image so that we can move out in his love and in his power in a world that's desperate for this. So can we stop there? We'll pray and um, just commit this to the Lord and allow God just to, for something of what I've said, I know I've said an awful lot, but allow something of what I've said to be like a seed or to, that takes root in our hearts so that we're not just thinking about what God has said now, but as I said before, that something shifts in us so that we start walking in his way, according to his purpose and his plan for our lives. Putting aside the things that hinder us and saying, Lord, it's all about you. I need your power, I need your ability. Not because I am anything, but because I, I will not be able to live a life that glorifies God without it. I need his love worked in my heart. So Father, Lord, we just give ourselves to you afresh. And Lord, we do... Bow our hearts before you, Lord. And Father, we ask you to change us, to fill us with your love. Lord, that you would work your power and your love in our hearts. You see the areas in our lives that need to change, Lord. Lord, you see those things that we've struggled with maybe all of our lives. But Father, I thank you for the breakthrough. I thank you, Lord, that this is a day where your power can work within each of our hearts and lives to transform us as we yield to you. So we just give you these things now. We give you our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would send us out as fire and as light, as refreshing water into a world desperate for you and your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.